0: Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I the transfer window wasn't much to shout about, but the Premier League season continues to be a lot of fun. Man City are holding firm at the top, Liverpool are back in business, Tuchel's off a running at Chelsea, but Jose Spurs are sinking fast and Manchester United scored nine. I'm Dan Burke, this is the belated Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined for this one by Matt Froelich.
1: Good
0: afternoon, and Joel Sanderson Murray. Hello. So we were meant to record this yesterday, but internet issues at my house meant we couldn't. And I had planned to talk uh, to begin by talking about Manchester United nil Arsenal nil, and then on Tuesday night something changed <laughs> when Manchester United beat Southampton nine bloody nil, nine <laughs> nil. The sort of scoreline where they have to put the uh, the the word in uh, brackets next oh, yeah. to it, isn't it? yeah, That's yeah. when you know it's serious. <laughs> So that's the second time in as many seasons Southampton have been beaten 9-0, and we've talked a lot about how brilliantly they they bounced back from that defeat to Leicester last season. But Matt, do you think uh, Ralph Hasenhuttle's ever going to be able to live this one down?
1: Weirdly enough, I feel like he's got the track record to kind of brush this one off. (laughs) Yeah, I I just think he could be like, yeah, it's happened before, we know how to deal with it, like it's fine. I I feel like if it was a, a manager for the first time it's happening, it's kind of a shock. But he really seemed to kind of work his way back into a lot of people's good books since the first nil. Mm. Like with the way they played, um, the way they kind of went about not really changing their style of play so much, the board backing Hasenhutl, um, the players still believing in him. Um, so I kind of think that he'll be able to look back and be like, yeah, this is absolutely mad. And obviously we'd rather it happen zero times Uh, Never mind two times, but I don't think it will (laughs) be, I don't think it will be something absolutely mental. Like he's going to be gone and then they're they're all going to lose the dressing room and everything's terrible. Like, for some reason, yeah, it's not as bad as the first
0: time. Yeah, I mean, they did have a great uh, 2020 after that, that 9-0 exactly. at the end of 2019. So if, if this sort of kickstarts a great 2021, then I guess we'll, uh, we'll look back on it as a good thing. But I do sort of feel like paraphrasing Oscar Wilde here and saying to lose 9-0 once may be regarded as misfortune. To lose 9-0 twice looks like carelessness, doesn't it, really?
1: <laughs> I remember sven Goren Eriksson. Uh, with that, with a similar line, when uh, City lost six nil to Chelsea, he said, "I'd rather lose six nil once than one nil six times."
0: Quite right, which quite right. too, yeah, it's
1: a pretty fair result. So, I guess as long as they don't go on a, a nine-game losing streak from here on out, it won't <laughs> be so bad. Yeah. Uh,
0: as for United, Joel, I, I sort of detected an air of resignation about their title chances after that defeat to Sheffield United last week, and then, then the draw with Arsenal at the weekend. But this should really give them a, a shot in the arm, shouldn't it, in terms of their their title prospects?
2: A shot on the arm, that's all kind of what we all need, really, and it's to get life back to normal. Oh, you know? well, very true, yeah. A
0: couple of time like, <laughs> oh, and
2: life is <laughs> 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 yeah, we'll, wait, we'll wait for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um I, th- I think the-, the thing is with with Man United, I think what 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 separates Man City and Liverpool from the rest of the Chase and Pack and the rest of the league is that they over the last three seasons, they've been able to maybe not Liverpool this season to an extent, but they've been able to win the games against like Sheffield United at, at home. You know, the teams that come and sit back and and don't want to engage and just want to get a draw and, and get out alive. And Liverpool Man City always found a way to beat those teams. And United, as, as much as they have improved over, I'd say, the last eighteen months, they have still. Come on, stuck against those type of teams like you, you think they lose Sheffield United and they lost to Burnley in, in the last year and, and that kind of thing. And it's it's one of them that that's just maybe the next level of their progression is getting over and getting past those types of teams and and win those types of games. And it's it's something that they've not found a way to do because their record at Old Trafford this season, despite last night, it's still not very good. Mm. Um, and it, it, it's just one of them. You know, I have been a bit concerned about them over recent weeks and then that happens against Sheffield and, and you're like, OK, right, they're, they're still that type of team. They're still not quite there. there. It's something that whether it, it might take another signing or I, I think really personally it's more down to the coaching and I think it, that's not to say Shogshot won't become the kind of coach who can coach a team to get past the, those kind of games. But right now he's just not quite there. And, and, I, and I think personally... United are nailed on for top four. I don't think they'll have any problem with that. But I think at some point they are going to... They're going to still lose two or three more games this season, I think. And I think it might just rule them out of the title. If we go to an overall general view of the title race, I think Man City will run away with it. But if anyone else is going to win it, it's, I think it's going to be Liverpool. But I don't I don't even think they'll get Nathan. But I think with United, I think it's just maybe a step too far this season. Despite last night, which again, they were great and deserve credit for
0: Mm. Well, all this talk of City winning the title is way too premature for my liking, to be honest with you. I think we've got a long way to go yet. But then you, you look at the table and United, as a, as a result of last night, have scored nine more goals than City this season. Um, but they have played two games more at the time of recording and City have a better goal difference than them still. So, you know, the 9-0 win hasn't really done an awful lot for them in terms of in terms of sort of reeling City in. Um, it all unravelled for Southampton in this game after just two minutes when, when 19-year-old Alex Jankovic uh, was sent off on his Premier League debut for a horror a tackle on Scott McTominay uh, Marcus Rashford reminded us what a, what a nice lad he is after the game when he said that Yankovic had been a bit unlucky there um, I don't think that was the case to you Matt I don't think unlucky is the word I would use to describe that tackle
1: not at all this is such like an easy thing to say when you've just won nine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, if, if they review it and he gets like a yellow card and then Southampton win or get a point and you ask Rashford after the game you know should it have been a red I'm sure he'd have a very different opinion
0: yeah yeah totally. um,
1: yeah, no, he seemed like, look, it was obviously a big day for him, you know, making his first Premier League start, Old Trafford, this, that, and the other, but you don't, that's not even a challenge. Like, what on earth was that?
0: Yeah, what ball was he going for there? A beach yeah. ball or something? <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> yeah, he, um, I just, uh, he, I'm sure he can have no complaints. I'm sure um, the referee can have no complaints. I'm just, I'm amazed that Scott McTominay came away with what looked like a, basically a graze that you sort of get from falling over rather than like, you know, a three inch gash in his in his leg.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well Hasenhutler admitted afterwards that the red card killed them. They also had Jan Begnarak sent off late in the game. Um but there are ways to play when you're down to ten men, Joel, and this wasn't it, was it?
2: Do you feel like it's sort of um the old cliche that it's meant to be harder to play against ten men, which I, I yeah. do not really subscribe to, but what it's meant to do is that the team that had gone down to ten men, they really are meant to shut up shop and then I think it's it's meant to become a bit more difficult psychologically for the other team because They're expected to win then and expected to come out. And and to be honest, it should win comfortably when you're playing against less than them. But the thing is, we we didn't see that last night. We'll go on to talk about Wolves' arsenal a bit, but we saw it in that game as well. It seems to be as soon as both teams went down to 10 men, you just knew where the result was going. And obviously with Southampton, that happens that early. I think that just kills them completely. I think they they just know, but, you know, if if they could blow up a half time, four had and take it, they they would have. And but yeah, there are ways to do it, I and mean, they just completely folded, didn't they? And, and and you think with them, if you if you just. <laughs> There are ways we just sort of try and kill the game a bit more in the second half. Like, like they're, they're just kicking the ball back to United at some point, and, and you, you just wonder whether if you try and get up the field and you try and earn a few throw-ins in, in their kind of area and, and and just kill a bit more of the time. But it, they never look like trying to do that. They they just sort of accepted their faith and and just and just bent over backwards for Horton. And it's and, and yeah, you, you got a question. Okay, they're never going to win that game after the red card, but. You want a bit more commitments,
0: it's fair, don't you? Yeah, and that, I mean that is now four games without a win in the Premier League for Southampton since they beat Liverpool as well. So they are on a bit of a, a bad run at the moment. They want to want to stop the rot the rot as quickly as possible. But uh, it was a great night for United and and away from all the goal scorers. It, it's time we gave some some long overdue plaudits to Luke Shaw. I think who's having a brilliant season. Looks like the second coming of Roberto Carlos at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think's behind his uh, his revival this year, Matt?
1: Um. A lot of people saying the signing of Tellers has sort of been a, a kick up the ass for him mm. um, to kind of really prove that he's got what it takes at Man United because there were so many questions. And I always forget that Shaw's been there, I think, six and a half years now. Mm. I believe, mean, like, a, a really long amount of time. And you always kind of, I don't know, I always viewed him as like this young left back coming through the ranks when really, you know, into your seventh season, Manchester United, you've got to start showing it. And he really has. I really, in the last few weeks, a few months, have made sure I paid attention to his performances. And he's been so, so good. But it looks like, I feel like he hasn't necessarily taken a step up in his game. He's just got back to where he was. The last few seasons have been so poor from him that he's now got back to, you know, the player that was showing the kind of promise that that led to United spending, was it 30 million? Think
0: I think so, in, yeah, yeah.
1: In, in 2014 for, you know, an 18-year-old at the time. Um, so I think he's got, you know, back to that kind of best. And again, I think consistency has helped him, despite the fact that Tellers has been brought in. Shaw's had a brilliant season and he's got the rewards for it. I feel like Oli has done well because a lot of managers would cave into the pressure of just buying your new big name star. You know what I mean? It's very mm. uh, we've seen it, you know, especially at, uh, uh, with Lampard at Chelsea. The second things go wrong, everyone goes, well, what have you bought him then? If you're not playing him, mm. you know, it's very easy to give in to that. So the fact that, that oligon the Solskjaer said, you know what? I know I've bought Tellers. I Noah I spent was about 27, 24 million on him, but Shaw's doing the business. So he stays in the squad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think massive credit to, to Solskjaer for that and yeah Shaw's taking it for me at the moment he's the starting left back for England this summer
0: yeah i was going to ask you that actually yeah cuz i mean there were times last season as well where i thought like why is luke shaw still at united what are they doing there and even <laughs> even earlier this season i was like you know why is he getting after, games after but, that
1: spurs game i thought wow yeah He's terrible.
0: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, all credit to him. And on the other side, it was Aaron Wan-Bissaka who scored the opening goal and also had an excellent game. I thought he looked great at Palace, but I've been a bit unimpressed by his United career so far. Do you think this could be the turning point for him, Joel?
2: Quite possibly. I think the one thing with Wan-Bissaka is United fans and maybe general football fans to try and compare him to Alexander-Arnold and Rhys James and Liverpool and Chelsea, because but they're both different kind of right-backs because they're a bit more attacking. And, and I think either whether it's the skill set of Wamba or what actually Oligo and asks him to do, he's a bit more defensive and he's a bit more focused on, on, on keeping his position rather than overlapping and putting crosses in. And it's weird that maybe he's not as good as, as James and uh, Alexander-Arnold doing that because wan Saka started out as a right-winger as well. Um, but I think... Maybe you look at last night, the run he makes. I mean, he is obviously trying to run away from Danny Ings, who's a striker playing left wing at the time. But the run he makes is perfect, mm. and it's it's great. And he times it to perfection, and, and the finish is... Is all right? So, so maybe that's something that he is capable of and something that maybe we'll see more of in, in the future.
0: Yeah, always great to see one full uh, laying on a goal for another fullback, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, elsewhere on Tuesday, nine was also the magic number as Wolves got their first win in nine Premier League matches, beating nine-man Arsenal 2-1. Uh, it was all going swimmingly for the Gunners until they had David Luiz sent off for, apparently, bringing down William Jose in the box in first-half stoppage time. Uh, even as a Spurs fan, you must think that decision was a joke, though, Matt. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I feel like they watched the replay and they still didn't pinpoint the exact moment when he touched him. It must have been this this knee on the back of the foot. Mm. I mean, uh, if you have to zoom in that many times, you'll find the exact pixel, and it's obviously not clear and obvious. Um, but on, on top of that, I don't quite understand. I thought that this triple threat rule wasn't in play anymore. Yeah, me so too, yeah. The, 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 you wouldn't get a red card for that decision because they've already got a penalty and he's getting a yellow and he's made mm. a double,
0: jeppel- double jeopardy you mean not triple that was threat.
1: it yeah 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 that was it the um the double jeopardy yeah. oh yeah but they i think it was the triple threat is the rule now so they've got a goal scoring opportunity a, a penalty and now a yellow card i don't know i've probably got my lines mixed up um <laughs> Anyway, it shouldn't have been a red card and neither should Bidnarek's, as we spoke about earlier.
0: Yeah, yeah. I saw uh, there were some quotes from uh, Keith Hackett, the referee, was sort of saying uh, that it was the right decision or something. Um, and apparently you can abbreviate the term uh, denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity to dogzo, which I like. <laughs> D O G S O. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> um, That's not as cool as they think it sounds. No, right? it's not, is it? No, no. <laughs> At the same time, is that the sort of incident uh, you kind of risk uh, by, by having Louise, uh, David Louise in your side, Joel? It's like he's always sort of seconds away from complete disaster, isn't it, really?
2: <laughs> 100%. So I think Louise is, is actually a very good defender, and I think. Eight out of ten games, he'll be absolutely fine for you, and he won't do anything mad. But there will be two games where he'll, he'll throw one in, and, and, and the thing is, when he does mess up, he messes up big time, and he'll, he'll get a red card. I think he's had three red cards, and Arteta's raining already, which he's only been in well, just a year. Yeah, um, and he'll he'll you have a score, you have a scoring goal, or you'll get sent off, and and, that, and that's the risk you take. And, and, and the thing is, if you if you want to be a top side challenger for trophies, I'm not sure you can you can go forward with, with David Luiz and your team because if the, if the big red button's asking you not to press it, he will press
0: <laughs> it at some point. Yeah. I, I mean, I suppose uh, Arsenal can't also uh, really have any complaints about the, the Burn Leno sending off for a deliberate handball, can they, Matt? I mean, I was I was expecting that to be a yellow card, to be honest. I was a bit surprised when he, when he brandished the red.
1: No, I always thought deliberate handball from a goalkeeper
0: was always... What's a it was it deliberate, though? It looked a bit oh, accidental yeah, I mean, to me.
1: No, he definitely tried to tuck it into his chest to make it look like his chest hit it out of play whilst moving his whole body simultaneously. He knew what he was doing. Look put it that way if he hadn't have done that the ball was heading somewhat towards the goal but Adama Traore is running onto it so Yeah, there's no way anyone's catching it. Yeah yeah yeah. So yeah, that's the right decision.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Wolves really needed this win. That was their their first win in, in quite a while uh, after their defeats at the Palace at the weekend as well, when they were pretty poor. Um, I had lots of questions prepared about Nuno's future after that game. Um, but Joel, do you think they were actually good here? Or, or did they get a, a massive helping hand from the referee? I
2: think they really got away with one, Dan, to be honest with you. I mm. think that the first 30 minutes Arsenal... Should, uh, could have should, probably should have been 3-0 up. Um, Saka hits the post, you have know, a, a goal-offer offside, and and, and and they ripped them open at ease, and, and I think it, it it will paper over a few cracks. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Wolves go in and get comfortably beaten by Leicester at the weekend, because they seem to be sticking with, with Ruben Nevers and John Martino in the midfield at the moment, and okay, Martino scores an absolute belt over goals to win this game, but neither of them can turn around or run anymore. Um, mm. in, in the team's case, and and the thing is, if you, if you're playing against midfielders, you, you've got legs like like Thomas Partey ran, ran the show for the first half hour yesterday, um, and I think he, he's got to do something about that. I don't know why he dropped behind the Dintanka. He's got you know got a bit more about him in midfield, and but they, they got the win, and maybe maybe it will be a turning point. And I, I think it's mad that you know Wolves last two wins have been coming into Arsenal and Chelsea. You know, I'm not really sure what that says and I don't think they're going to be in trouble or anything but I, I, I just can't, I think they've got to do something in the summer whether that is changing the manager or you know, bringing a few more players or, and, and shipping a few hours because they, I think they got the recruitment wrong last summer but yeah I, I don't think this is going to say this is going to be a big turn point in their season and they'll go and challenge for Europe now. I just think they've got a win and they've got a with one.
0: Yeah, what do you make of William Jose so far? Has he been an able deputy for Jimenez, do you think?
2: He's good at holding the ball up and he is getting the box, but they just can't seem to be giving them any clear chances. But I think he'd be absolutely fine. He's a decent footballer. and I think it was only last January that there were links about Spurs playing for him. Yeah, games, yeah, yeah. So there was obviously something there, and he scored goals against Barcelona and Real Madrid in the past two years. So there is something there, and I think, I think he will do the job for them. It's just whether they can create more chances for him.
0: Yeah. Well, Arsenal were unbeaten in seven Premier League matches before this game. Do you think they'll put this one down to a bit of bad luck, Matt, and move on, or, or can you see it spir- spiralling out of control for them again now? I mean, they've got Aston Villa away at the weekend, which uh, looks like a tricky fixture.
1: Yeah, that'll be a tricky one, but I think it would have been tricky regardless of what they did last night. I mm. think they'll move on from it. Like, they, they're on a good run of form, as Joel said, they dominated. And we were talking earlier about how you play against 10 men. And I thought that Arsenal actually limited Wolves pretty much. I mean, mm. they've lost to a penalty and, you know, a screamer from Jean Moutinho. But apart from that, they they did pretty well with 10 men to, to kind of limit the opportunities. There were a few at the end when they were down to nine. But I thought in comparison to Southampton, that's how you play with 10 men they were still they still looked you know not a million miles away from the opposition as as Southampton were um I wouldn't put it I wouldn't sweep it under the carpet completely for Arteta but certainly as the result you'd kind of move on towards the weekend because I saw the stat that since Arteta joined they've got nine red cards and the next closest team has got three <laughs> like that 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 can't be ignored yeah yeah nine red cards in what is it two years 18 months of 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 coaching that's there's bigger questions there but yeah they'll they'll hopefully move on and like, it's that old cliche in football. It's good when you've got another game in a few days to kind of get over it.
0: Yeah, that's the David Louise effect rubbing off on the other players, I think, there, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> uh, there was also a basement battle at Bramall Lane on Tuesday with Sheffield United beating West Brom 2-1. I was going to ask, even after their defeat to City at the weekend, whether you could see the Blades pulling off a great escape this season. And now it's starting to look like a genuine possibility, isn't it, Joel?
2: I, th- I think it is actually, yeah. They, they've, they've definitely pulled something back, and something starting to click for them that, that wasn't hasn't been all season. Um, but I think the issue with them, and I think they might just run out of time already. and mm-hmm. They might just literally run out of games eventually. Um, I, I, the thing is with the relegation zone, it looks like they've just everyone's kind of pulled away from them already. Like the three teams there probably will go down um, but there's always at some stage in the season there's always a stage where it looks like a team's going to get out of it like in, in March April we'll say at least one of them's going to try mm. and get out of this and I've, you know I don't you remember when you know West Brom were last up they, they were miles away from getting out of it and um, in like February I think they bring Darren Moore in for the rest of the season yeah. and they end up winning three or four games and you're thinking oh for a second this might happen but eventually do go down I think Chef are probably the best place for a team to, to do that um, and I think they'll, they'll go win a few more games and, and and look for it but I think the season they've had already it's just been that bad that I think the writing's on the wall for them um, but they will make it interesting uh, but sadly I, I just think they've run out of games already but West Brom are Horrendous. And I think they're going to go down as one. You know, I think they're on the track to concede the most goals ever in the Premier League, which is eighty-nine of Derby um, of that infamous Derby season. I think West Ham has surpassed that. They're, yeah. just, they're just awful.
0: Fifty-two they've conceded now this season. So, so that's uh, yeah, yeah. That
2: easy.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think you're right about the relegation thing because you, you look at the table like Brighton 17th they They've started getting their act together now. Newcastle 16th they They've started playing a bit better. Burnley. You can't imagine them going down. And then you're looking at Wolves, Palace, Southampton, Leeds. They're not going to get dragged in are they so yeah it's looking unlikely but you know you never know I mean um West Brom were leading at half time in this game Sheffield United turned it around second half uh, Chris Wilder put the comeback down to his side being more ambitious in the second half do you think that's how they approach the rest of the season now Matt just throw caution to the wind and see where it takes them
1: um yeah they've got to they've never really got anything to lose I mean
0: mm, like play four up front every game and just <laughs> go for it like <laughs>
1: why not I mean look the I feel like that's kind of what they did last season when they didn't have any pressure on them. If they got relegated last season, it's, you know what, you came up to the Premier League, you gave it a go, and you got relegated. But now, because they had such a good season, there's obviously a big dilemma. Do we stick with our cautious play? You know, do we get relegated after a good season and look like fools? Do we change it? Do we buy this, that, and the other? I think maybe they did sort of slightly overthink the um, their second season. And yeah, maybe getting back to the sort of... Um, the way they played last season and almost without a worry uh, about things, it might actually help them. Because look, look, we're just over halfway through the season. They may run out of games, but there's certainly enough time for them to get the points they need. They might as well go for it now. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They, they still end up bottom. Yeah. I mean, literally, the only way is up. So, <laughs> I mean, certainly for the rest of the season. So, they don't really got anything to lose by going for it. Yeah. And they've got some good players in there. I definitely think if Sheffield United go down out of. You know, you're saying Sheffield United, West Brom or Fulham. I think Sheffield United have the most desirable players to be picked off by other Premier League clubs. Um, yeah. God, I would not sign anybody
0: from West Brom <laughs> or Fulham.
1: Um, but you'd sign one or two from Sheffield United. So I think they've got some quality. They might yeah. as well.
0: I disagree with you about Fulham. I think they've got some decent players, actually. I think, you I, think there's so? a few I would you out of sign?
1: Time. Uh, Actually, I'd sign that Anguiza. He's brilliant. Yeah.
0: Mm. It depends. I suppose it depends what kind of club you are in it. But uh, Tosin Tosin Adarabayo is my favourite Fulham player anyway. But he's (laughs) ex-City, so that's probably probably why.
1: (laughs) Okay, maybe one or two.
0: Yeah. Uh, Sam Allardyce was saying after the draw with Fulham at the weekend that playing too much complex football was the baggy's downfall. They played 4-4-2 in this game and it still didn't work (laughs) out for them. (laughs) I mean, mean, I'd imagine he can chew a lot, but has Big, Big Sam bitten off more than he can chew this time, Joel? Is this...
2: Think so, but I'd love to see what his definition of complex football yeah. is like. I imagine XG just burns his head out. and needs <laughs> to have a lie down in the bath afterwards. Um, oh, I don't know what's going on with him. Like, I, I don't think you've seen at any stage of Aldi since he's coming at West Ham that they've looked like an Aldi team, and they've looked like grinding out more than one result. And they've only you know one or two wins here and there, but. They, I think, I think he has. I think that the, the team they assembled to come up from the championship, they probably shouldn't have come in the first place. Um, but they're just completely, you know, unbalanced, and there's there's just, there's just not little bits there that look like a Premier League team, like you know, four or five attack midfielders, you know, one or two tacklers, but you know, they haven't really got a right balance or right shape about them, and. I, and yeah, I think you know, you know, th- this season's been a weird one for many reasons. But I think it's finally going to be a season where we see Sam Aldays, you know, get relegated, and I can't wait to see his face on the day. In he'll
0: he'll now. quit before it happens. I'm telling you now. He'll walk. He'll walk, <laughs> he he'll walk with about five time. games yeah. to go. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you reckon? Do you reckon he's regretting it, Matt? I mean, it, surely he doesn't need the money. So it seemed like a sort of hubristic move from him to say, "Oh, I'm big Sam. I've I've never been relegated. I'm going to prove how great I am again." It's like you should have stayed on your fucking. Uh, Sun lounger or something, Sam. Like the game does not need you anymore.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, look, he's a, he's a football manager by trade. Uh, he was obviously a bit <laughs> bored. Just yeah. thought, you know, I'll I'll exercise the old legs again. Um, and yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. I'm not sure if he's regretting it. Um, I guess I guess it's something to do. <laughs> yeah. I literally that's that's how I feel about most of the sort of the dinosaur age managers. I mean, you could either sit there and complain or you can get out the house and you know get involved in the football club again. Yeah. I don't I, I, I'm not sure maybe he'd quit with a few games to go but he certainly won't hang around to get him back out of the Championship no. again.
0: Yeah. worst case scenario he gets sacked and gets a nice little payoff and uh, he can he can head back to his, uh, his sun lounger in Spain can't he yeah exactly yeah. It's, it's like, it's like uh, Alan Pardew throwing his hat in the ring for the AFC Wimbledon job it's like give it up just oh
1: come
2: <laughs> off <man>. yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, well Tuesday's other game finished Newcastle 1 Crystal Palace 2 at St. James Park after Newcastle's great win against Everton at the weekend I was all ready to shower Stevie with praise for his size and attacking intent, but it sort of looks like they're back to square one now, doesn't it, Joel?
2: Yeah, yeah. I have no idea what to make of Newcastle, to be honest. Like, mm. you know, all season they, they played to get, you know, a nil nil or make a one nil, and and then when they finally look like coming out of team that looks like to press high and and go out on attack, they get a very good result against Everton. But I, I think Everton were just a bit stale and and maybe a bit caught off guard by that. And then they, they take the lead last night, and I think this is it. They build a bit more momentum, mm. but. As soon as Palace go two one up, they never look like getting back into you know getting back ahead or even getting level. Um, and, and I think obviously we've decided the relegation places already. But the thing is with Newcastle, if if anyone else is going to get dragged into trouble, um, I think it is going to be you know Newcastle. Sadly, but they definitely got a bit more about them to be all right. Like they probably can replicate that Everton win, you know, one or two more times. But it's just a you know a big. There's just no points in Newcastle fans watching games. I've heard Mayland say that yeah. they don't turn it on anymore because they just don't know what you know. They know what they know what to expect, and, and you know it's just not going to be about last for of them. And, I think last night is
0: just another example of that. Let's well, think about that about the uh, the Everton game at the weekend. Like they've won that game, good win, you know, good result, uh, good performance. But the Newcastle fans must be thinking, well, that kind of keeps Steve Bruce in a job for a bit longer, <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Exactly like, true, yeah. must be very conflicting emotions there. I mean, that said, against Palace they had sixty-one percent possession, which is something you don't really associate with the Steve Bruce team. They created a fair few chances. Matt, do you think Steve Bruce maybe has found the formula or something approaching the right formula, and his players just didn't quite execute it in this game?
1: um potentially i think it's always difficult to tell because i'm not i'm not entirely sure when they you know they create uh they have 61 possession they create the chances whether they actually look like they're going to finish them Mm -hmm. because you know i mean they the one thing i'd say about newcastle aside from callum wilson they're extraordinarily blunt in attack Mm -hmm. and it just looks like wilson gets opportunities he scores a couple of goals and everything's fine like at the weekend. But then it you know, kind of reverts back to tie against Crystal Palace. I think I think that having gone 1-0 up, they really should have pushed on from that. And that's where I think you'll see the differences. Um, exactly the same with West Brom at Sheffield United. Once you go 1-0 up, to go and lose a Premier League match is something that you can't really accept, regardless of what your expectations are. Whether you're going to the top four or trying to survive relegation, it's just not it's not really what you're aiming for. And I think that if you're going to have a poor defence like Newcastle do, you have to have a regular attacker, a regular stream of goals that are going to kind of, you know, keep your team in balance. And unfortunately the second that they don't, they don't find the back of the net or they don't find the back of the net a few times in a game, um, they're always likely to be undone. And I think, you know, it's a bit of a pot shot from, from, I can never say his name, Riederwald.
0: Yeah. Gyro Riederwald. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and yeah, a bit of poor defending from 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 a set piece for Gary Cahill's goal.
0: Uh, you mentioned Gary Cahill there, Matt, uh, who scored the winning goal for Palace. He's been an excellent player for them in the time he's been there, hasn't he, Joel? Do you think he could perhaps be playing for a better team than Palace even at, at his ripe old age? Quite possibly. I mean, you know, he's thirty-five, but he doesn't look like his you know his legs have, have gone at
2: all, or whether he's you know he's now been the quickest defender, but he's he's able to cover enough ground. And I think it's possible about that actually, because I know when his contract expired at Chelsea, you know, and he didn't, he went to Palace, but there's a lot of talk about him going to Arsenal and I think that probably would have been a good move at you know the right time. And yeah. And I think there's you know, he's got the ability to still play at, at that level for a for a team in that, you know, the the top seven, eight, you know, whatever and, and you know what, if Leicester happened to lose Johnny Evans in the summer I definitely could do, you know, much worse than maybe getting Gary Gale alongside, you know, you know, Wesley Fofana and Sue and Chew and, and, and complement those two defenders. And, and yeah, I think I think he's a quality defender and he's still proven to be so and, you know, fair play to him.
0: Yep. Uh, it does look like Palace are going to be without Wilfred Zahar for a few weeks of so the hamstring injury. They, they are uh, having quite a few injuries building up now, but how big a loss is, is Zahar in particular going to be, do you think, Matt? Yeah, that's
1: massive for them. Um, I was I was looking the other day at some of the strikers they've had over the years, and they just cannot seem to find the back of the net, whether it's Wickham or Benteke, or IU does bits. Um, so they've just signed Mateta from Mainz. Mm, that's um, right, yeah. Yeah, in the last few days of the transfer window, and it's suddenly all on him. I mean, when Zaha doesn't score, doesn't have a good game, Crystal Palace inevitably don't have a great game either. I think Easy's kind of... Um, lightening that burden somewhat I think he's a fantastic player yeah but certainly with the form that's a husband in front of goal they're going to need Ayu or Mateta to, to step up straight away because yeah that's a massive loss I mean look, they're losing their best player it's never not going to be an easy thing to deal with Hakuna
0: Mateta though means no worries doesn't it so <laughs> might be all right you never know <laughs> uh, that's eight wins five draws nine defeats you know what I'm going to say don't you Joel it's the Roy Hodgson algorithm. We're getting closer, <laughs> We're getting closer every week. I told you, I told you. <laughs>
2: Samuel, <you're pretty laughs> <of> the season.
0: <laughs> We're back to the weekend now, and we'll start at the London Stadium, where Liverpool made it two three one wins on the bounce when they won away at West Ham on Sunday evening. Joel, simple question for you to begin with: Are Liverpool officially back? And if so, what has been behind their revival in the last couple of games?
2: I wouldn't say they're quite back yet. I think they're maybe in the process of, of you know getting there. Um, you know, they play Brighton on you know, Wednesday night. Let's see whether they can overcome that. And then, you know, there's three wins on the bounce. And, 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 you know, it's a bit of a strange one to say, to put it down to, you know, the last two results to what to put that down to. Because in, in both games, they, they started completely different teams, really. Because, you know, they've had to bring in Shakiri and Origi for the second one. And Matt Phillips had to start because Matt's been injured. And it's it's just a weird one. But they just, just, you know, I think. Sometimes and, I, and and myself, I've tried to overanalyze what's gone wrong for Liverpool, and and, and you, you do it with your own team when they fall out of form, and, and sometimes it can it can just be down to confidence, mm. and, and they just stop believing in themselves, and and I think the way that Liverpool play when they attack, a lot of it comes on instinct and and you know being natural, and, and I think when when you, you stop believing in yourself, you, you, you sort of hold to the ball for extra. Two seconds and it kills the attack, and I think that was definitely happening with Liverpool. When, you know, the games they didn't score against you know Southampton and Burnley and Newcastle, and I think that that has just come back a bit. They started creating more chances, and you know they've done it against teams that have actually sat back um, and and tried to frustrate them. You know, you know, like Spurs for an extent, and definitely West Ham on Sunday, and and I think that that's that's part of the thing. for Liverpool is that that has come back, but we'll just have to see. Obviously. You know, <laughs> Sunday is just overlying everything there, isn't it? That's, that's a big one. Yeah, Obviously, just have to get through Wednesday night first, <laughs> and then we'll see
0: about Sunday. Yeah, well, you, talk, you talk about uh, Liverpool finding their instincts again. I think that, that second goal of Salah's was, was an instinctive finish, you know, the dictionary definition of it, wasn't it? Was that the, uh, the goal of the season so far for you, Matt? Uh,
1: no, and I'm kind of baffled at the people talking about it. Really? <laughs> I thought it was amazing. <laughs> amazing. I thought it was a, it was a very good goal you know it's a good counter-attacker a good I think it's Shakiri who yeah. sort of tipped it across yeah um, yeah great first touch and a lovely little finish to the side of the keeper but I mean let's calm down a bit go on then <laughs> what's been the better goal of the season for you I, I, I'm trying to think of one I mean Obviously, he's going to sound a little bit biased. I mean, and Dombalay against Sheffield United. Yeah. My God, he's not even looking, and he's managed to lob the keeper with that. Well, I mean, what well, that that cross got mishit.
0: Yeah.
2: Spe- <laughs> speculative
0: <laughs> effort that one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like you know, what, I mean, when when you when you watch that, you go, Oh my God, what on earth has happened there? Like, how has he done that? And then when you watch the Salah goal, you think, Bam! Fantastic football, free flowing, good finish, lovely goal. I, I mean, that my, my of... toppers
2: off. But okay. Yeah,
1: mean, don't do I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I just. There was nothing out of the ordinary to to sort of deem it goal of the season for me. You know, it was a lovely pass, and it was it was textbook Salah for me with a very calm, composed mm. finish. But I wouldn't. I don't know. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of another spectacular goal <laughs> or, or something that was you know just something utterly ridiculous, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you
0: Thank know, you know how I feel much. about Liverpool goals, but I applauded that one in my living room, so... Oh, it's, it's good. It's good. Don't
1: get me wrong. i just not sure goal of the season <laughs> Fair
0: enough, fair enough. Uh, well, Salah scored twice in this game, having not scored in his previous seven games. Is him uh, rediscovering his scoring touch what's going to get Liverpool right back in it now, Joel? Do you think? Uh,
2: yeah, I think so. I think there's definitely something in that. I mean, it's surprising that he's still the top goal scorer in the league, to be honest. So, uh, you know, I thought he would have been caught up by now. But I think that's testament to his ability and... You know, I, I always think Sadio Mane and you know is maybe a better footballer to an extent, and, and Roberto for me is a lot more important. To the way the football team works and, and and how they flow, but Salah's the finisher, and he's he's just the most clinical finisher in, in the team and one of those in the, in the league as well. And I think yeah, he's he's one in where the goals can come out of nothing with Salah, and I think it does. on... On Sunday, you know, against West Ham, it looks like the defenders have closed them off, and he just managed to find that extra yard to kill that into the top corner. And, and I think, definitely, I, I think you know, he scored what more than twenty goals each was four seasons now at Liverpool. And I think that says even about about him if you know, Liverpool are going to get back into contention to win the league. Sal's going to have to do that again, and. and his guys maybe replicate his, his first season when he gets 40 odd goals. If Liverpool are going to do something this season, he's capable of doing it now.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, how happy are you with the uh, January transfer business Liverpool got done just before the deadline? It's,
2: it's a really weird one because they've been crying out for a centre back, you know, at least one, or when you know, they, they now have got two in and they've not had the money to maybe go after the first target. Mm-hmm. Um I think if this is normal times and you know it wasn't Corona and look you know, the impact of finances had been what it has been. I don't think they're ever signing Ben Davis at all, are they? But mm-hmm. if, you know it, again, Ben Davis and Osanka they are not two names that have just come out of although Paul they have been on the radar, but I think it this is a case of getting their fourth and fifth choice targets rather than getting the first. Um but I think it, it, it's a weird one. I, I, I'm not going to ever claim to say that. I've watched Preston and, and thought Ben Davis looks like a Premier League centre-half, but the, the thing is, Liverpool, they, they, they've done this before, where they, they've signed players from weird teams and in weird positions, and like, like Andy Robson. Exactly, right yeah, yeah. And they've gone on to, to be you know incredible footballers, and there's always a hope that that can happen. You know, the Sunderpool are getting something right behind the scenes, and it, it, can have to, it can apply that to Quebec as well, because Schalke... You know as we all know, being in Germany, have been one of the worst teams that are playing the Bundesliga this yeah. season, and they've only got eight points, They're so pretty much down already. But I think there is something a bit more in Quebec, he's just a bit raw, and he's a bit you know, he has played in two teams that have either got relegated or are going to be relegated, and um, so they've got to get that out of him. But I'm, I'm relatively pleased because it gets Jordan Henson back into midfield, which is important for Liverpool's hopes of winning something this season. But The jury will be out on these lads, but we'll just have to see what Clock can do with them.
0: The other day, Matt, I said to Joel um, that Liverpool used to be called the Spice Boys, and now they should be called (laughs) Quebec Street Boys. And he didn't think it was funny. I thought that was genius. That's that's genius. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. That's goal of the season. (laughs) (laughs) That's material. (laughs) Uh, West Ham went into this game on the back of six straight wins in all competitions, but it looked like they were lacking a bit of belief against Liverpool to me. Do you think that's fair, Matt?
1: Mm. Yeah, maybe a bit of belief but they are also playing up against you know a a deadly Liverpool side Mm. so I think I think it's more that West Ham sort of reverted to type where you know Liverpool can do this on their day to anyone and it's not necessarily the fault of West Ham I thought I thought they gave it a go they just weren't as good as Liverpool and that's kind of (laughs) normally what dictates the outcome of a football match the same thing with the Spurs game Liverpool were better they won the game um and that was that was kind of about it, really. I don't think you can blame West Ham too much for it, um, but I have been very impressed with them before that. Having mm. said that, in those in those six straight wins. Somehow, we're sitting here in 2021 and praising David Moyes. I never thought <laughs> yeah. post-2013 this would ever happen, but here we are.
0: If you listen back to our podcast from earlier in the season, our takes have not aged well on David <laughs> yeah. Moyes at all, have <laughs> they? <it>? Oh, <laughs> yeah. a, bit, a bit like Moyes himself, who hasn't aged well either, <laughs> too far. <laughs> so, uh, Liverpool v Man City the weekend, Joel, are you shitting yourself? because I am <laughs> 100% absolutely it's
2: huge I mean Liverpool have obviously got to manoeuvre and get out of the way of Brighton on Wednesday as well but it's, there's no doubt it's, it's absolutely huge isn't it and mm. I think you know, for me Liverpool win I still don't think they necessarily will win the league but at least it, it means they're in the title race and they'll mm. carry on being in the title race for a bit longer um, but I think if, if City win and that applies to the rest of the league as well if City win and maybe even if they avoid defeat, actually, I think City will end up just running away at the title. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it is that big. And obviously, you can you can build these games up to be huge. But I, th- I think, I think it is as simple, as you know, simple as that. I mean, I'm not sure about yourself whether you think that as well or whether
0: well i mean we've not won at anfield since 2003 um defending amazingly this season um there's no fans though which i think is always a big factor i think yeah. city often bottle it when they go to anfield when the fans get on the back um so it, it feels like we're never going to have a better chance to win at anfield than this and Therefore, we're probably going to lose 3-0, aren't we? So, yeah, who knows? We'll see, we'll see. Uh, (laughs) Will City strengthen their lead at the top with a narrow victory over Sheffield United on Saturday? Um, City weren't great at all here. It was a pretty boring watch. But, do you know, is is that okay at this stage of the season, Matt? Is that the mark of champions, grinding out results like that?
1: Um, Yeah, I guess so, especially given that Sheffield United, they were just off the back of that United victory, weren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, maybe a little bit dangerous to have underestimated them. Um, I think the thing is with Manchester City is when they play so consistently all it requires is someone to put the ball in the back of the there and suddenly the game looks incredibly dominant from an outsider perspective but when you watch it and see that they were dominant anyway in possession with the fluidity of their passing just because they didn't get the four or five they usually do doesn't mean it wasn't as comfortable um, obviously 1-0 was still a bit dangerous at times but yeah mm. I think it wasn't the most exciting of games, but I'm not sure that City were ever really in danger.
0: Yeah, my friend uh, Dave Lewinsky put it right on Twitter. I think he said, uh, City didn't grind out a 1-0 win. Sheffield United stayed solid all game and they ground out a 1-0 loss. Yeah, yeah. Which I think <laughs> that, was a pretty accurate summary. That, yeah. That's what I
1: mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, this was the first time City started with a recognised striker for a few games. And I thought they actually looked a bit less dangerous than in, than in recent weeks. Joel, do you think it could be that the, the system Guardiola's c- cultivated with uh, with a sort of interchanging forward line doesn't really work with a traditional number 9?
2: Quite possibly, but it also could be you that know, Jesus maybe isn't up to the task. I mean, I know mm. he scores on Saturday, but I'm not quite sure he's going to be City's forward number nine going, you know, going forwards. Rest, you know, for the next couple of years. I think they got to do something in the summer on that. But I think for the system that Guardiola sets up at the moment, it's I mean, I hate to see it because obviously it means they're playing well and it means they're probably going to win the league. But it's just brilliant to see. Like it is fascinating, you know, if you're. You know, a neutral football fans to to watch the football that they're playing, and if you've got any interest in tactics and systems, to so, to watch what they're doing because I, th- I think it's pretty much Diaz and John Stones sort of their their position set and their position is, is hold But then everyone else, I think, just interchanges and plays with it you know, wherever he wants, wherever it needs to be. <laughs> yeah. The wing backs are inside. You know, Ifordon's F- playing on the you know the byline most of the time, and. Um, and then the rest of them, you know, Gundigans meant to be sort of part of a double pivot for the, you know, the mm. first part of the season. And then you know, recently he's making late Lampard runs into the box kind of thing and getting goals. And it, it is, it's brilliant to see him. And maybe why it's worth is it's the sort of of not having a number nine. Because if, if you want to see the opposing centre-halves, who you meant to mark, and then, yeah. and then, you know, you're, you're left, you know, in, in, in half spaces most of the times, And then you've got De Bruyne and Gundigan who are making runs off the back of you. And you're thinking, well, I'm not meant to be marking them. So, what, you know, what, what, you know, what the fuck's happening there? And I, I think maybe, you know. Maybe Guardiola doesn't need to play number nine if he's going to win the league. Maybe yeah. it's just best to carry on what he's been
0: doing in recent weeks. Yeah, well, I think Sergio Aguero's fitness has been a real, uh, fitness issues have been a real blessing in disguise mm. for City. I mean, necessity is the, the mother of invention, as they say. And I don't think he would have ever even tried this if Aguero had been fit, and and who knows, we might have been a, a worse off team for it. But but yeah, it was Gabriel Jesus who got the goal here. Some great work from Ferran Torres building up to it. Uh, Jesus has now scored eleven percent of all the goals scored for City under Pep Guardiola. But for me and a lot of my fellow City fans, the jury's still out on the, the Brazilian what, what's your opinion on him at this point Mark do you think he's ever going to be the the player that City need him to be
1: um, well I actually found an old tweet of mine two years ago saying he's the worst Premier League striker <laughs> so <laughs> that could kind of give you an insight to my thinking uh, I actually are kind of on the same boat as you Dan I'm not sure he'll ever go on to be what City need now to say he won't be a great striker you know is a bit harsh on him because I think he can be but I just think at that level right at the top, when you're following Aguero, right, a city legend, an, an absurd goal scorer, it's always going to be difficult. And then you can't sort of bring your own style to it. You know, you can't sort of say, oh, yeah, but I'm I'm Gabi Jesus and I do this and I do that. It's kind of like, well, we've lost 200 goals over the last eight years with Aguero leaving, so we need those 200 goals. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not so sure. If you can't replace what aguero your number one striker is bringing then you're not going to be sort of there very long and you're not going to be in contention i'd be amazed if when aguero leaves whether it's a free whether they sell him whether it's next year if 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 city and guardiola crossed their arms and went now nah, we don't need to sign him yeah, we're good exactly. we're good i highly highly doubt that will happen
0: yeah, they're going to buy someone in the summer, whether it be Messi, whether it be Haaland, someone like that, yeah. and and z is going to find himself in the same boat next season, I think. Of course, so, yeah. 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 And well, that's six consecutive clean sheets in all competitions at home for City for the first time since August and November 2006, when Stuart Pearce was the manager which is probably the most bizarre start to come out of the weekend. Yeah. Uh, They also finished January with nine wins from nine, the most wins by a team in the top four tiers of English football in a single month since the formation of the Football League in 1888. So City are the greatest team of the last 133 years. Is that what we're saying? (laughs) Yeah, I'll take that yeah yeah. <laughs> you've
2: been sitting on that all weekend I, absolutely <laughs> yeah. Jesus. when's the fucking parade
0: <laughs> uh, Tottenham suffered their second defeat on the spin when they lost 1-0 at Brighton on Sunday night uh, Matt it's been a little while since we checked in with you about Spurs how, how are you feeling about not just recent results but recent performances more importantly
1: for good reason you haven't checked in <laughs> yeah. with me it's just oh god everything is wrong I just I, I sit watching the games and there's no hope. There's no sort of direction that there, there seems to be, as always with Mourinho, as much as Spurs fans, me included, wanted to deny it at the beginning, this kind of egotistical puppetry that he plays with the players, with the board, with the media that just doesn't sit quite well. And it it's almost a smokescreen that makes absolutely anything impossible to put together. You know, right now I'm thinking, hold on, is it Mourinho's fault? Or is it the players? <laughs> or is it the manager? I'm confused. He's he's pulled the the great confusion act to the point where I think, well, normally Sissoko's not a right-back. ah, But then again, Mourinho did have a falling out with Serge Aurier. But then what's happening with Doherty? Was that the board signing? I'm so confused. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on. It makes it so difficult to pinpoint what's going wrong, apart from the fact that it's all it's all terrible and the results have been okay up until the last year, but the performances have been
0: shocking. <laughs> I saw a tweet this weekend that said, nobody hates Tottenham more than Tottenham fans. Would you say that's right? <laughs> yeah.
1: That is, I, I, I feel bad, you know, for being so negative about Tottenham all the time. Um, but it's years, you know, 24 years now of supporting them that just sort of wear away at you and you can't help but fall into the inevitable negative traps. I mean, the, the signs are everywhere. Every time there is some sort of storyline, Spurs are on the butt end of it.
0: <laughs> Spursiness—it's never going to go away. It is.
1: It's is, huh? <laughs> it Spursy for a reason. You know, our oh, Liverpool are in bad form and the front three can't score. Why don't you come and play Tottenham? <laughs> right, and haven't won a home game all season. Come and play Tottenham if you're listening to this before the Chelsea game. Timo Werner hasn't scored in twelve <laughs> games. So I'll give you a clue as to who's going to be on the score sheet Thursday night. Get your you're money welcome. on, Timo. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Get your money on. <laughs> well, Mourinho. Said after the Brighton game that Spurs were too unhappy on the pitch and suggested they were really feeling the absence of Harry Kane. Is that acceptable for you? I mean, obviously, he's the, he's the talisman, he's the, he's the amazing striker, but are they are they allowed to sulk about that?
1: No, they're not allowed to sulk. It's understandable. I mean, look, every team is worse off without your best player. I think that's a pretty uh, understandable statement. Uh, but you can't be. I think there should be, there needs to be a bit more desire for other players to to kind of fill in. There needs to be this sort of right. This is my chance. I mean, for whatever reason, you know, Carlos Vinicius didn't get a start despite being brought in to be Kane's backup. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I I feel like the the Spurs players can't sort of. The fans can think we're screwed without Kane, but I'm not sure the players are allowed to think (laughs) that. That's not exactly the most professional vibe to give off. Um, But yeah, they didn't want it. They just. They did not want that game. On a Sunday, a wet, cold Sunday night against Brighton, who were up for it without their top goal scorer, Spurs just did not want it, and it was clear to see.
0: That's a great Sunday League shout, that isn't it? He doesn't want it. His yeah, arse has yeah, yeah. gone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time a big centre back gets the ball, look at him. He doesn't yeah. <laughs> want it. Yeah, that,
0: that's,
1: that's that was Tottenham on Sunday.
0: Well, we saw a bit of that at the, the United Arsenal game, didn't they? When um, Solskjaer was shouting, was it about um, Cedric yeah, who Suarez? Was it about? I think, I think it was Cedric Suarez, wasn't yeah. it? When he, he can't defend, he can't defend. Like, yeah. <laughs> More of that, please. More more <laughs> like in-game sledging. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so if Spurs do lose to Chelsea on Thursday, Mark. do you think their title race is run or do you think it's over for them already? And are you starting to worry about top four Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, no, the title race was never a thing. When everyone was talking about that back in <laughs> November, just like you said earlier, I remember everyone sort of you know, hyping it up on the YouTube channel. I'm thinking, hold on, guys. There's about, what was it at the time? About 27 games to play. <laughs> yeah. Who on earth is talking about a title race? Now, no. Finishing sixth last season, it was always about top four this season. And I think that thankfully, in in a season where everyone seems to be getting beaten, we're out of the title race. I think that's down to City Liverpool and potentially United. But that fourth spot is definitely up for grabs. Mm. So look, it's not panic stations. As I said, what we've we've played Tottenham played 19 games, I think, or twenty games. Yeah. You know, there's a ridiculous amount of points to play for. So it's not over. It would just be Sign that other teams are making their way into a bit of form at right time ahead of us mm. especially with you know, a direct rival like Chelsea
0: it's getting to the point now isn't it where you can't really afford to lose sort of two, three games in a row like yeah. earlier in the season that might have been acceptable but now teams are starting to get the shit together Yeah, that's and, the thing yeah, 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 yeah. exactly uh, great win for Brighton though Joel it was their first home win in 15 Premier League games in 225 days oh. and there uh, there you go <laughs> there's the spursiness for you uh, their third win in the last four in all competitions do you feel like the, the worm is starting to turn for Graham Potter's side now? Quite possibly, I
2: mean, we've been saying all season about how you know the the results are maybe not reflected their performances, and you know they've got great online numbers. But the the, the, thing, the thing is they should have been two or three up at half time. To be honest, you know the problem has always been all season that they can't finish their chances, and, mm-hmm. and I think it it was set into that on on, on Sunday night, and I, and I think the 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 situation that will probably define Brighton's season is that. Oh, I, you know, Connolly has the shot now, but they go through in the last couple of minutes, and all the virals comes across and basically blocks in it, you know, blocks off the tapping. And um, I think it might it might be more pie. You know, I don't I mean, Con- Conley might have come on at that stage, but again, they they work the, the chance very well, the opportunity very well. Play some great stuff, and, and they just can't finish it off, and and they're left sort of reeling on and clinging on to the one 0 at the end, and. And I think that that's always going to be their issue until you know they find a way. You know, either with it being more pie or Connolly just become a bit more clinical, or they get a striker and you can't do that. They're they're absolutely, you know, they're a fine team. But the, the thing that might keep them in the relegation dogfight is they don't finish their chances. So I think I think that they're all doing all right now. But you know, if, if they're going to be sort of struggling come March April, it'll be because they, they just don't finish teams off.
0: Yeah. Well, Thomas Tuchel got his first win as Chelsea boss when they won 2-0 at Burnley, uh, against Burnley on Sunday. That makes him the first Chelsea manager to keep a clean sheet in each of his first two Premier League games in charge. It's Rafa Benitez in November 2012. Uh, how important are those clean sheets to what he's trying to achieve there? Do you think, Martin, building a solid foundation from the off?
1: Um, yeah, definitely, because he doesn't necessarily have the firepower to outscore teams that he had at, at PSG, mm. <laughs> pretty much. Um but i think just in general he can't always rely i mean look, look Chelsea've got a wealth of attacking options but i think he can't always rely on them as we've seen to produce every single game at the moment and i think there are some games where if they have an off day a solid defence is going to help you know help save you or even win you some more points um than sort of maybe he would have seen in liga but i think for any for any big manager, having a, a solid defence is definitely what's gonna what's gonna win you titles rather than just individual games. Yeah, I think I think that's been that's been clear with Manchester City have sorted their defence out, been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and the same thing with Liverpool, you know, over the the Premier League and the Champions League winning season when they had a, the defence that picked itself that's really an indicator of a good foundation to build on. So, yeah, I think it would definitely be on top of his priority list.
0: Yeah. Well, he's gone with three at the back in his first two games. Do you think he's going to stick with that long-term, Joel, or is this like the, the first step in a, in a process towards something different?
2: I think it's a latter. Uh, I think, just as Matt puts there, that, you know, it's to get a bit of stability into the, into the team at first, and I think if it seems to be the go-to, with some managers when you know they first set up a team is you go for your free at the back because it does give you a bit more insecurity and and then you, you sort the attack out from from there. But once you get the defence up and running, you, you then move on to the attack and and, and plan that. But I'd be surprised if he sticks with it long term because I don't think it necessarily suits you know Chelsea squad all all, all that much I, I don't think it'll be the best way to get the best out of their players you know you know, eventually you, you want to see Reece James and Ben Chilwell becoming, you know, attacking full backs in, in, in a four. And then, you know, you, you want to see Kante playing sort of a double pivot and you can protect the button you know, in the back four that way. And, and then you got you got to think about, you know, Werner eventually, how they're going to get the best out of him. And I think that's probably going to be as the number nine and r- run onto attacks. And I, I don't think all these things, I don't think, you know, get the best out of them right now in, in the formation he's using. But... He'll go and get results using this for now, and then once the conference and comes back, and the team looks like it's pairing again. I think you'll start of see his own sort of stamp on that.
0: Yeah. Well, the biggest surprise he's pulled in terms of selection so far was starting Marcus Alonso against Burnley and uh, the Spaniard repaid him with a lovely goal at the end. That was his first appearance for 18 weeks for Chelsea. Why do you think he was uh, he was picked ahead of Ben Chilwell here, Matt? Is he, is he be- better suited to that wing-back role, would you say?
1: Yeah, I, I would think so for the precise reason that we saw. I can't imagine Ben Chilwell scoring that kind of goal. Mm. Um, and I think, like we said... Like Joel put perfectly, you you make sure you're solid with three at the back and you wait until Havertz, Werner, Pulisic, Ziyech, everyone else, Abraham, is on form and then you can switch to a back four and then you can trust that the flow that the attackers are in are going to be enough to win you games. Um, But yeah, I think maybe at the moment he thinks as wing-backs they're also going to need to get forward to do some attacking and I think Alonso probably is better. On top of this, Alonso loves playing against Tottenham. Yeah, he just <laughs> he just loves it. I think he scored more goals against than he has any other team, um, for a left back. So yeah, they're just getting him fit for a for a match winning performance.
0: Tuchel <laughs> uh, also took Tommy uh, Tommy Abraham off at half time here and brought Christian Pulisic on, Pulisic on to play down the middle. Uh, do you think that could be the secret to uh, unlocking Team Werner a bit? Maybe, Joel. I'd be surprised because I think maybe that's
2: it should be the way around where you know Pulisic is off the left and yeah, he's yeah. Down, down the middle but you know Thomas Tuchel's a very clever guy and, and maybe that is the way forward but I don't I think that gets the best out of Pulisic as well, because I think when when you, you, you know, expect a Christian Pulisic, you, you expect direct runs off the wing and coming off the flank and either going on the outside or the inside, and, and that's how he pulls defenders out of position. And, and I think if, if he ends up getting back into form and doing that, I think that would be like a, an effect for, for Werner, because if, if Pulisic's taken two or three defenders out of the game, then, you know, Werner's maybe got a bit more space to run into himself, but. So I'd be surprised if this is the way going forward, and 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 too close to where because he knows the best for him. But maybe this is him just trying something and seeing how it works, and you know maybe we won't see it again or not. But you know we'll see.
0: Yeah, I always love these sort of early weeks of a manager's tenure when they come in and just mix stuff up with it. It's always really interesting, isn't it? Uh, but perhaps the biggest shock of the weekend saw so Newcastle winning 2-0 away at Everton in Saturday's early kick-off. We've, uh, we've spoken about Newcastle already, so uh, we'll, we'll talk about Everton. That result leaves them eighth in the table. If they win their two games in hand, they would only be a point behind Liverpool. Um, but do you think eighth is about right for how they performed overall this season, Matt? Uh,
1: hmm. I think normally, but considering the other... T- teams have struggled and there's been no clear sort of breakout team, um, sort of breakaway team at the top, they maybe felt like this is a bit of a missed opportunity. And if they've gotten their act together, like you said, um, they could be close to to kind of overachieving, but maybe being on par with the quality they've got in the squad. I just think it's where they are because they're notoriously inconsistent, Everton. Mm. And I think this is kind of what you'll see, that they'll threaten to do something brilliant. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's the odd terrible result and they're like against Newcastle. Um, I, I was looking again the uh, the other day, we talk about goal scorers a lot. Calvert-Lewin on 11, brilliant, right? But the second he's off form, who's there to pick it up?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, that's exactly why they've signed someone like Josh King. But I think behind him, Hammers is on four. And then Michael Keane is on three oh, yeah. centre-back, <laughs> right? And Richarlison's on two. Yeah. In the Premier League. So, you know, it's the same with Zaha, it's the same with Kane at Spurs. Once your top man's out or he's not firing, you kind of stood scratching your head a little bit. And I think that's where, you know, obviously the top clubs having a multitude of players you can provide is obviously
0: going to give you a better, a
1: better chance because... Yeah, it's, it was very sort of hot and cold from Everton at stages.
0: Yeah. Do you think, Joel, it's a problem for Everton that Carlo Ancelotti's put on a bit of a sort of pedestal above their players? I mean, I, I follow a lot of Everton fans on Twitter and the general consensus when when things seem to go wrong is that it's the players' fault, it's not the managers' fault. And I wonder, are they ever going to be able to sign the sort of calibre of players to match the quality of Ancelotti as a manager?
2: Yeah, I follow a lot of those fans on Twitter as well and, and when that happens, you know, it's it's a good watch. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, think, I think you might be spot on with that. To be honest with you, because I think you know Ancelotti's you know worked with some of the best footballers to ever walk the grass, and and he you know he turns up everything he's got Andre Gomez and Tom Davis to work with, and mm. and I, th- I think the, you know maybe it's not necessary to to his detriment, but um, he, Ancelotti's great at making great players world class, but you know whether he's able to consistently make good players, great players, I'm not necessarily sure because you know, he's, he did alright in Napoli, but he, he couldn't necessarily do it there and um, and make them consistently, you know, successful, and maybe that's what we're seeing at Everson, where they, they put in a number of good performances, but they're just not consistent enough at it, and, and I think he can only get so much out of the plays he's got, and whether they can go and buy, you know, if if you're an Everton fan, and you're looking at you know the summer transfer window. You probably want to go and get four or five players. You know, you you go down you start at eleven. You go, oh, we can improve there, we can improve there, and and you know, Ansoti probably deserves to get those players in because I think he could he could do wonderful things for Everton. But it's whether they've got the the money to do that. And I, I don't think I don't think they have because you know they're trying to build a new stadium, which you know hasn't. even had spade in the ground just yet and I I don't think they can necessarily go and throw two hundred million at players and spot he's probably gonna have to work from what he's got and I think we've seen year now of he's made that Dominic Cavaloon a great player and he's made Richardson a great player but I don't think he's gonna be able to do that for, you know Eight
0: or nine more, is he? Yeah, that's it. What's the next step? How do they get to that next level? I'll I'll be very interested to see that. Uh, Leicester's seven-match unbeaten run was brought to a shuddering halt by Leeds on Sunday. Leicester beat Leeds 4-1 in November, and Brendan Rogers said afterwards that he was glad his side hadn't been dragged into a basketball match by Leeds. Do you think that was their problem here, Matt, that they never really got a grip of the game, despite going 1-0 up early doors?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think he's absolutely right when you don't want to be dragged to that kind of game with Leeds, because... I feel like they have something under Bielsa where they they don't do anything traditional. So if you if you're open to the counter attack, it's not quite what you think a counter attack is, or they don't quite set up how you think they will, and they can be dangerous in all sorts of situations. Um, but I think specifically in that game, they really it really played into Leeds' hand as as the attacking team when you want to be a bit solid and counter attack and take your chances. That's really what it was for um, for Leeds. And I think I sound like a bit of a broken record on this podcast. Again, mm-hmm. Leicester missing Vardy, um, not having him firing. It's just, it can prove to be a bit too much. And again, mm. you can't really have a one goal lead and then lose it and, and kind of capitulate as they did, to be honest. But I think, you know, I would give all the credit here to Leeds for making the game what it was rather than Leicester not necessarily having a full grip on it.
0: Well, that was the first time Leicester had dropped points this season from a winning position. Uh, they became the last Premier League team to do so this season as well. Do you think Leeds have learned big lessons from some of their defeats this season, Joel? I'm thinking about the one at Man United. really, the way they just sort of let the game get away from them in the early stages. You know, they they went 1-0 down at early doors here. Do you think they uh, they had that in mind when they, when they were sort of coming back into the game?
2: Yeah, I think they're just getting better at the way they, they want to play the game because... I wouldn't say they didn't necessarily change anything on Sunday after they you know they got ahead or even after they went down. They just carry on doing what they do and and, and have been doing that all season. And then you know most of the time it works, and sometimes you know it, it won't. if you you know you look at Brighton at home and obviously United you know, that United is the way that you, you refer to there. But I think yeah, I think they're just getting better with Premier League experience. They, they know how to win games now, and and I think. You know, there's been talk from a lot of you know pundits about Bielsa having to change his way and you know maybe having to shut up the shop a bit more and, and grind out results. And he, he just kind of said fuck you to them. Hasn't he? And, <laughs> and, and I, I think it's great that he's you know, he's getting his rewards for that now because he's he's proven that you know Leeds can go to big teams and, and win games. And I think this has been coming. I think a statement victory like this has been coming. And and I think they've got one more in them as well. I, I think I, I think at some point they're gonna you know really bloody nose you know a big side and. I am, you know, we've got them coming up on road, and I'd be a bit concerned about that. And you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they end up getting the results at City, or I know they're going to the Emirates. I think next weekend or the weekend after. And. If we're talking on the one day podcast about Leeds winning 4-1 at the end, yeah. race,
0: that wouldn't surprise me at all. To Could be a you. bloodbath, that, couldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it won't, yeah. won't. Get me involved. Get me involved in that. <laughs> yeah, I will. Well, I'm going to put this question to you, Matt, because you've slagged off Patrick Bamford on this podcast this season. I he's, have. He scored a brilliant goal in this game. He's now been directly involved in 15 goals in 20 Premier League appearances this season. I think he's, he's silenced a lot of critics. Has he silenced you yet? Yeah. I will remain silent. (laughs) Um,
1: He he has in some ways, yeah. I really, especially when the signing of Rodrigo um, at the beginning of the season made me think that Leeds weren't entirely confident that Bamford could be the guy, you know. Mm. They'd go out and spend 30 million euros on a striker from Valencia. But to his credit, he seemed to have worked, you know, worked really hard and taken the chances, I think. And um, yeah, it's kind of a, a big credit to Leeds that they haven't changed too much from when they came up. You know, sometimes teams change and you think what worked at the championship for one player um, doesn't necessarily work. You know, would Bamford be as good if, like we've seen previously, he's at teams that are worried about losing and they're defensive and this, that and the other. But no, they, they've kind of sucked their guns and he's really, he has really benefited from it. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm willing to be silenced and then open my mouth and give him the credit <laughs> where, where credit is due. I think he's been fantastic and certainly... Yeah, an improvement on the um, on the last few stints in the Premier League. We've seen with who was it with Middlesbrough and uh, there was someone else, Burnley. As well. Burnley, Burnley, Burnley yeah. yeah, that was it.
0: He's played for everyone, hasn't he, Bam? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's still only twenty seven. Could you uh, yeah. could you potentially see him uh, making a surprise uh, uh, place in the in the England squad at the Euros, Joel?
2: Uh, I'm not sure about that because I think still, you know, Gareth Southgate plays with one striker most of the time. Mm. Harry Kane, Dominic calvert and Danny Ing's are probably just far ahead of him. Yeah. You probably need to take free strike because there and Rash would probably can do a bit there as well. Yeah. So I think it will probably just be a bit farm the season, but he's had, he's had a great season, deserves mentioning that as well. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. If if you had to, if you had to call one of these managers a fraud and one of them a genius, I <laughs> know. Oh, no. How would you dish out the two tags?
1: I was thinking about this earlier. We're gonna be on Fraud Watch again. It's been that long, I wasn't sure if you were still doing it. Oh, of course. Um <laughs> Oh, I don't really know now. Everyone seems to love Leeds, even when they lose. Because it's just like the thing. Um, God.
0: So Bielsa a fraud then? Is that what you're <laughs> No,
1: no. I'm going to put Bielsa in genius. Okay, okay. But I think Breda Rogers is a fantastic manager. Neither of them are frauds this week. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I can't attribute fraud to either of them, but yeah. if, if we're going for anything, I am going to call Rogers a, a genius in the moment. Mm, yeah. I think there's more credit than he gets.
0: Well, if I put a gun to your head, you'd be dead by now, Matt. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, Aston Villa got their European hopes back on track with a 1-0 win at Southampton on Saturday night. Ross Barkley scored the winning goal here. There was a, a bit of scepticism, let's say, about his move to Villa, but it's worked out pretty brilliantly, hasn't it, Matt?
1: Um, yeah, it actually has. And I think he seems to be one where, when he's a little bit of a bigger fish, um, like he was at Everton, Um it kind of works out better for him i just think he's one of those players who needs a bit of confidence and consistency mm-hmm. um and it doesn't really help being in a an ever changing chelsea squad um and certainly now i mean who does he even begin to fight with for a spot <laughs> does he does he fight with a ball carrying kovacic does he argue with a you know a wide player like Pulisic or ziech does he try and get in a bit further up instead of Havertz?
0: I mean, if I was him, I'd be doing everything I could to stay at Villa next season. Yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah, and I think uh, apparently no talks were had, is what I heard. Um, they haven't even discussed it yet, but mm-hmm. look, I think that the partnership, especially with Grealish, um, is is working wonders, and he's playing football in a team that are doing really well. So yeah, why not?
0: Yeah, why not? The same goes for Emi Martinez, who kept his tenth clean sheet of the season. Only Edison has kept more in the Premier League this season. Uh, do you think Arsenal might be regretting letting him go a little bit, Joel? Especially after Leno's error on Tuesday. Hundred percent. I remember when he left. Actually,
2: a lot of Arsenal supporters regretted about it, and and I thought at the time, you know, he comes in for the second half last season, and you know he's good, but I just thought whether that's just you know he he should have a bit of confidence, and he's you know, it, it's not something that's sustainable over the long term and he's proved me wrong because he's been fantastic at, you know, at Villa and I think Ben Leno's an, an okay goalkeeper. I think, I think he's got a rick in him and, um, well, He's so got a couple of mistakes, I'd yeah. say. Um, and, I, and I think, yeah, I think actually this could prove, and I think it's not proven already, that they've uh, they backed the wrong course on that one.
0: Yeah. Uh, Danny Ings had an equal equalising goal disallowed right at the end for his arm being offside in this game. Southampton had another one like that in the uh, <sighs> the, the defeat at, at United. Are, are you still annoyed by decisions like that, Matt, or have you just kind of accepted that it's part of the game now? Because I kind of have, I think.
1: I, th- I think I've accepted it as long as there's consistency behind it. Yeah. Like, if if you see it every week and it's the same thing every week and you just go, God, that's annoying, but you know what? It happens every week. So be it. I just think it's when the Manchester United one, well, I could not understand for the life that yeah. that's gone on there. Because if he scores with his hand that's offside, then doesn't it get disallowed for being yeah, a handball? Exactly. Ball? So I don't, I don't get where the – I still think it should be done by the feet whether your feet are offside because you know as a forward you've got that natural inclination just because you're going towards the goal to lean forwards Mm. and the defenders getting away or pushing the line up and leaning the other way and I think who's gaining an advantage by this you know if 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 the defender's trying to be smart and step up and catch you offside he doesn't do it quick enough because your feet are in the same position well then you should have run back with the attacker.
0: Yeah, I think I'm just tired of having these conversations and trying to get yeah. up with solutions when they don't seem to be bothered about it, really. They, they they don't think they need a solution because they've got the solution. Mm. So just, just let them get on with it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a quick word to finish on Fulham, who drew 2-2 with West Brom at the weekend. Scott Parker said Fulham should have been 3-0 or 4-0 up at half-time here. If they start taking their chances, they'll stay up. So why does that seem to be such a big ask for them, do you think, Matt?
1: Because they don't have any good strikers. I mean, this is, <laughs> again, like, like like I've kind of mentioned all the time, that you cannot put a price on someone who can find the back of the net. And I just think Sheffield United do it terribly in finding goal scorers, and that's why they're where they are. And the same thing <laughs> with Fulham. You know, they bought in Josh Madger from Bordeaux, um, who had a decent spell in League One with Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Again, putting the pressure on him to keep Fulham in the Premier League. My word. That really that really is something. Same thing with Rheam Brewster at Sheffield United. They just they should have been three or four no up if they had someone good enough to put them three or four no up, but they don't, so they're where they are and it's kind of it's odd that Parker would think otherwise.
0: Yeah, Mitrovic has been disappointed this season, I think. Yeah. He's he's uh, you know shown himself to be a good player in the past for, for Newcastle and what have you. So I'm mm. surprised he's not been here, been finding mm. the goals. Uh, Fulham have got Leicester on Wednesday evening. Do you fancy them to possibly get something there, Joel? Leicester, you know, a bit of a, uh, in, a in a bit of a slump after the Leeds game, maybe? Well, Fulham,
2: you know did beat them at the uh, the King Power earlier on in the season. That's so right, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, quite, quite possibly, but I've, I think with with Leicester, they're fantastic away mm-hmm. from home, and I know that's not much of a difference at the moment with no fans. But Leicester's away records for some reason this season has been better than their home record by a bunch of miles, and I think I think Leicester just had a bit too much about them. And I I don't think Vardy's going to be back from the start, but I think his possibility to come off the bench, but. I think with you know, with Madison in the forum he's in as well and, and Harvey Barnes is getting bit at the moment. So, um I think yeah, I think I'll be a bit too a bit too much forward on Wednesday.
0: Yeah, well, you might look very silly by the time people listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Full above one six nil. Who, who knows? <laughs> well, well, that's first time indeed. Well, that's all we've got time for on this week's better late than never episode of the Premier League weekend review podcast. And there's plenty more One Football podcast action coming your way this week. As Angelina Kelly will soon be back with the women's football show. Before Ian McCourt talks world football later in the week. If you want to get in touch with any of our shows, you can email us on podcast at or tweet us at onefootball. And we'll be back again to discuss such delights as Liverpool v. City next week, so we'll catch you then.